Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome to On the Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and, and Nick Stevens. On tonight's episode, we're going to talk about potential breakout candidates in 2022, as inspired by a recent piece that Nick wrote over at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. In addition, we're also going to cover some transaction news and discuss one of the first major mock drafts for 2022 to be released, courtesy of MLB Pipeline. Uh, all of that and probably more will be on tonight's episode, but first... On the Verge is brought to you courtesy of Mercer Floor and Home Carpet, Carpet One. Mercer is a third-generation family business that was established in 1959 and is located on Main Street in beautiful, historic downtown Westminster, Maryland. For all of your flooring needs, think Mercer. So I'll uh, turn it over to Bob here real quick. We always like to shout out members of our Patreon community each week, and uh, we're going to take a moment now to shout out some of our newest members. <laughs> Yeah, we do have one new member that I wish I would have remembered to shout out last time. Good thing you remembered because I definitely would have probably forgot again tonight. Brandon Kleckner, welcome to the welcome to the club. Another member. We're coming up on sixty now, so love it. Thank you to the support uh, from all of our patrons, and we'll get into now what's really one of the big topics of this episode, which is Nick's recent piece over at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com five under-the-radar prospects to watch for in 2022. Some of these players are already on our top 50 list, which will be updated in a few weeks. Some of them may be joining it for the first time. So while these are names you're likely familiar with, they seem like players that really are poised to have big years in 2022 and really soar up the um, draft or, excuse me, the prospect list. So Nick, just to start off, what was sort of your uh, methodology for putting this piece together? And how did you arrive, I guess, at five players, but technically six? Yeah, I always throw extras in there at the end of my articles. Um, Yeah, I was kind of looking around the rosters for inspiration, checking out uh, Bob's spreadsheet there that he has every single Orioles minor leaguer ranked. Um, one through like 200, 300 something. So just one of the many perks that you have access to when you join our Patreon community. Uh, but, you know, I kind of thought that I wanted to write something positive because it was also a week where it was just a negativity spurt on Orioles Twitter. And I- I'm kind of sick of it. So I thought about prospects who I thought could break out in 2022. And kind of like like we saw with guys like Zach Peak, Zach Watson, uh, Gene Pinto, and some others in 2021. Um, you know, I think uh, these guys we knew pretty much nothing about or weren't very high on at all, kind of like a, a Zach Watson style situation. And now Zach Watson is, is a top 30 or close to being a top 30 guy in our system. 
Um, so a lot of the options I was really looking at were younger international prospects who have been hyped up over the last year and should start 2022 in full season ball and guys just outside the top 30 who I thought could be high risers. Um, I think guys like to try to better, maybe better explain my thought process, like Jordan Westberg and Kobe Mayo, I think are going to become very well-known, well-hyped prospects across the industry next year. And you're going to see people call for them to be top 100 prospects from the day, like baseball America and everybody lists their top 100 list come out. But like, I was thinking a little bit deeper. Um, and so like even international prospects like Michael Hernandez and Sammy Basayo, I didn't include them because you know, those are the big million dollar babies. Um, a lot of hype surrounding them. Um, so, you know, I think we're being told that a lot of this early season hype of uh, this thing in like Gene Pinto, um, we had no idea who Gene Pinto was before the season started. And now we're being told that like our early season hype of his is legit. And this is someone that all Orioles fans need to watch closely. Zach Peak, in my opinion, was like a throw-in piece in that Dylan Bunny trade. You're hoping maybe he's a depth reliever. Now he's one of my top five like favorite prospects. Uh, so guys like that, who could be that next group that becomes the Zach Peak, Zach Watson, Gene Pinto in this organization? And I came up with five. There could have been a lot more, but those were the five that I, I settled on. Yeah, I thought we're going to start off with the guy that I think fits the criteria perhaps the best that you just described, and that's Raul Rangel, who figures to be at Loe Delmarva next year, uh, a pitching prospect that is poised for probably a big breakout. Right now, he's, uh, I think, just outside of our top 50, but we are going to uh, do that soon, redo that soon, and he'll probably be in the mix. And just reading off of Nick's report here, listed at 6'3 and 160 pounds, Rangel can easily touch the mid-90s with plenty of room to fill out, add some strength, and beef up that fastball even more. He was throwing 85 to 86 just before the Orioles signed him and quickly worked up to 90 to 92. It's easy to dream of what the velo could be with another year or two of development. So I'll let Bob start this one. Um, Rangel, uh, probably going to be at Delmarva, which you covered today in a piece of Baltimore Sports and Life with projected rosters for 2022. Young guy, obviously a long ways away from the majors, but seems like somebody we can get excited about. Yeah, I think I had him as one of the first two pitchers that will probably start on the mound for Delmarva once their season opens up. And he just, we kind of thought he might get a shot towards the end of the season to get that late bump up to Delmarva just because he, he showed so well in the FCL in his limited time there. And yeah, it seems like he's got that natural stuff i'd love to get a chance to see it on milb tv so it would have been nice to get that at the end of the season so we could look at that in the off season towards our list but yeah i mean it seems like he's got all the tools and this is something we're just going to have to get used to as orioles fans now all these international pitchers and positional players that have huge upside and big tools it's just a matter of can they fill out and reach that potential and ryle Ranghill is right up there as one of the the top pitchers, I think, in the system right now as far as international presence goes. Yeah, and I noted, too, that when he was signed, Baseball America, Ben Badler over there, he kind of noted that Ron Hall is someone that has, like, top 100 potential. And so I think that went really overlooked. Uh, but, again, he's so young, and Orioles fans, you know, just for so many years, we just had to really completely ignore this side of baseball because the Orioles weren't uh, involved in any way in this process. And now they are, and Ron Hall is one of these sleepers. A uh, ton of strikeouts, 45 strikeouts, just nine walks and 36 FCL innings. So, of course, we want to see him perform against higher competition, but uh, that's a big positive sign. And so I think 
I think he's there. I think he could be next year's Gene Pinto, uh, to be completely honest. He probably doesn't have that ceiling. Let's, let's admit Gene Pinto is is our guy here. But, um, yeah, impressive. Like 6'3 and only 160, though. Like if that's his weight now, I don't know what it is like today, obviously. But 6'3, 160, you got to imagine the Orioles can put some serious weight on him and really add to that fastball velo. Um, there you go, Eric Garfield with the comment there. Great pickoff move as well. Defense, too. I love pitcher defense. Brendan Hanafy, top defensive pitcher in the system. Uh, don't question that. That's true. Uh, if Ryan Hell can match that, then this is a prospect that I'm super excited to finally get to watch live. Yeah, Ryan Hell really, you know, put together an impressive run down to Florida Complex League last year. And I think the big takeaway for me and the numbers you just mentioned is the walks. When you see a walk rate that's that low for how young he is and for how many strikeouts he gets, that's a really promising sign. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we saw that with Pinto too. I feel like he didn't, he worked quick. He didn't, he stayed around the zone. He didn't walk too many guys. And that's definitely a big thing. Even in the DSL, the FCL, you see these guys that are racking up strikeouts, but you also see they, they walk a ton of guys too. So that's definitely a nice. Thing. I'm going to go to two other pitchers on the list that a lot of our listeners are probably much more familiar with because they're further ahead in the system. That's Drew Rom and Brandon Young. Brandon Young, we really saw the hype train roll with him late in the year because he pitched so well at Aberdeen after putting up good numbers at Delmarva, but he was someone who got noticeably better at high A. John Mioli really talked him up when he was on our show in September. Zach Peake came on a couple of weeks later, talked about what a good curveball Young has, and that when he's trying to get advice on his pitches, Brandon Young is one of the guys that he talks to. And with the numbers that he put up late in the year at Aberdeen, he seems to be quickly rising. And then Drew Rahm, um, you know, he's been young for the level everywhere he's played so far, and he has not looked overmatched. And in fact, he seems to be getting better as he moves up and closed out with a really strong end to the season at double-A Bowie. So, Nick, just uh, looking at those two guys, Young and Rahm, general thoughts on them and at least initially in 2022, where do you see them uh, pitching out of a rotation? Young, I just, I fell in love with Young instantly. I think one, after the Orioles were announcing their undrafted free agent signings after the 2020 draft, Young had one of his starts. uh, UL Lafayette had it up for free, like a game replay up from that shortened season. Um, And I went back and watched it. And, you know, I I went to a mid-major school and JMU has produced like five or six uh, pro pitchers over the last couple of years. I went, uh, the big point for me, sticking point for me and kind of my baseline, really amateur level, I don't even want to call it scouting, but just being able to identify like good baseball versus bad baseball was, I was at the Colonial Athletic Association baseball tournament a couple of years ago and got to watch uh, Griffin McClarty, Kyle Bronovich, um, uh, who's the other kid from Elon, who's one of the top pitchers in the Mariners system now. Like, I got to watch all these guys live. And so I'm really, I feel like I'm really good at being able to watch these mid-major guys and identify who has it and who doesn't, who's just a product of like bad baseball versus bad baseball and who's standing out. And Brandon Young, for whatever reason, just stood out to me. 6'6 guy, commanded the strike zone, beautiful curveball. I love the curveball. I love when Zach Peake hyped it up as well. Um, I think, I don't know if he continues as a starter, like long-term. George Kirby, thank you, Vivek. Uh, need to step in there. Um, I think, you know, ultimately he ends up in the bullpen and he can throw 95, 96, maybe 97 miles an hour with that curveball. He also has a really good changeup that scouts seem to love. Um, so I think that's a big piece to watch. He probably starts, 
he could start in Del Mar or Bowie. I don't know. Um, probably more likely in Aberdeen's rotation if the Orioles want to use him as a starter. Uh, but Brandon Young is just, for whatever reason, like that guy stuck out in my mind and he's going to continue to stick out until he proves me wrong. And you mentioned John Muley hyping him up again. When, when the Orioles are out there leaking these guys' names and hyping up certain players, like they're, they're betting a thousand in my opinion in doing that. Kyle Bradish, Joey Ortiz, uh, Michelle Desson is someone we're going to talk about in a minute. That's another name they've been leaking out. So I'm going to pay attention until they prove me wrong. Yeah, I'm trying to look at where I predicted um, Brandon Young to start. I have him opening night just ahead of our boy Gene Pinto uh, for Aberdeen Ironbirds. But I would assume, you know, I have D.L. Hall starting in Bowie. So, you know, I, I would imagine he's one of the first guys that gets up to Bowie uh, once there is a spot in that rotation. And, yeah, I think, like, if Michael Elias could do a creative player or create a pitcher, Brandon Young could be just the prototype of what he likes. Tall you know, lanky, nice hair, good fastball, pretty well-rounded with breaking ball. He's, I think this is the guy that Mike Elias is, feels like he can work with the best and mold into what they see as the perfect kind of pitcher in today's game. And if he just keeps doing what he's doing, I feel like obviously the team likes him and he's going to keep moving up. And if he keeps having success, then at the very least, he could be uh, kind of a back end of the a bullpen kind of reliever. But I think he's got the frame and the durability to, to make it as a starter, even. Vivek was a question here about Drew Rahm, and this is actually the perfect way and uh, segue to talk about Rahm a little bit more. Uh, Vivek wanted to know if Rahm had a velo tick this year, and based off of what Nick wrote in his piece and what we were hearing, especially towards the end of the season, he did. Um, Nick, I believe you wrote that he was hitting 94 to 95 with the fastball, whereas in the past he's generally been low 90s. I don't know that he works there consistently, but we did see – signs of a velo uptick uh during the season yeah i remember seeing like a few 94 95s um yeah it's so hard because these minor league games even on milb tv like a lot of them don't have the the, the velo guns there but when we do like and he doesn't sit there like that's what he's topping out at so yeah he's still saying the low 90s so yeah i know the the fastball velo is a concern i know eric Longenhagen at, at Fangraphs. that was the big point there like he is kind of enamored with drew rom being so young at every single level and just dominating at every single level, but it's the fastball velo. Cause if he's only throwing 92, even if you've got the deception, even if you've got good movement, like major league hitters are going to hit you. Um, but I just, I can't get over what he did in Bowie, like uh, almost 11 strikeouts per game, 10 and a half strikeouts per game. The walks have decreased over the last three, his last three stops. His walks are going down. Home runs are respectable. You know, ground ball rates going up. They're 52, 53%. Um, low ERAs. He's missing bats with four pitches. Like, I, I just feel like, and almost four years younger than everybody else at Bowie, I just feel like not enough people are talking about Drew Rom. And I mentioned that, you know, when people talk about Rom, they put him in this crafty lefty, soft tossing lefty, whatever. And then you kind of get like Zach Louther vibes, Alex Wells vibes, because they've always seemed to be kind of lumped together on prospect lists. And I, I honestly believe, I said in the piece, this is the hill that I will die on, that I think Drew Rahm is a tick better than Aikens, than uh, Louther, than all these other guys. Uh, I hope he proves me right because, again, I just I strongly believe that with Drew Rahm. Yeah, I, I agree. I remember just after the season ended, I did some kind of tweet where I researched all those guys, where they were at, at this double-A level, and, and Rahm was just a tick better than all of them. And obviously he was a little bit younger too. And as long as he can keep gradually, slowly increasing that velocity to maybe where he could sit 93, maybe touch 94 at the major league level, I feel like he'll be okay. 
I mean, this is a guy I think it's just going to sneak up on a lot of Orioles fans or just fans of baseball in general where it's like, oh, my God, the Orioles have a lefty that's 21 years old and about to make his major league debut as well as Grayson Rodriguez. So I feel like, you know, he's going to be pitching in, in AAA at some point this season. And at that point, it's he's just a, an injury away from making his major league debut at a super young age. And he's never not performed. So there's no reason to think he's going to stop now. The point I always fall back on with Rom in comparison to some of the other lefties that you both mentioned, like Alexander Wells and Zach Lothar, and this is something I've said on air before, Rom has trended better with his command as he moved up the minor leagues, which Lothar did not. Lothar's walks actually went up a little bit as he moved up to minor leagues, and Rom has much better pure stuff than Alexander Wells. Um, so there is a real separation for me between Rom and those two guys. I do want to bring this question up, though, because, you know, you mentioned, Nick, that Eric Longenhagen has brought up the velocity, and he's certainly not the only prospect evaluator out there who has raised that question with Drew Rahm. How vital do you really think it is that he hits 93, let's say 93 to 95 more consistently? And what is really going to be the difference maker there? Is that the difference between him being a starter or a reliever at the major league level? Uh, does it increase the ceiling as a start, which it would seem to do? What do you think is the case there? I mean, I hate to say it, but I think probably, yeah. I mean, you always want to have that little bit of extra velo. Um, I mean, I also found these these notes from mid-June. Uh, Fangraphs also puts up like daily prospect notes during the season, at least last year they did. And and they noted after watching one of Rom's starts, six innings, no walks, seven Ks when he was in Aberdeen. Um He's the player archetype, archetype that's in vogue. He had good breaking ball feel, command, and this fastball his fastball's non-velocity traits will act like force multipliers if he ever develops more arm strength. So even in June, after watching one of his standout outings, you know, evaluators still saying they want to see more velo, even from the left side. Uh, but you know, I just think, and also the their competence like a Doug Nikhazy, this is right around draft time. So Doug Nikhazy, pitcher out of Ole Miss. Uh, this notes that that's a fair barometer for where Drew Rom would slot among college pitchers in last year's draft. Now that Rom's 21 years old, Doug Nikhazy went in the second round. So you could say that, you know, Drew Rom over here pitching like a, a second round worthy draft prospect at age 21 in double A. So um, that's a good sign for him. But yeah, you want to see a little bit more velo, but I mean, just the breaking balls, the command, it all works so well. And I just think he works so methodically out there on the mound He's constantly one step ahead of these batters, and you can see it in his eyes. You can see it in his face. Uh, and up to this point, it's worked extremely well for him. Yeah, I have to agree with Nick. I think I was listening to Effectively Wild maybe a year or two ago, and they were doing going into deep into the stats as they normally do about how, you know, for every velo- uh, mile per hour of velocity, like a pitcher tends to just do better and better until you hit 93, 94, then it kind of just flattens out where it's like, as long as you can pitch this fast, then you're at a certain level. So, yeah, I think it is kind of a big difference between him throwing 91 or 93, 94. So hopefully he can get there. But in the meantime, I mean, he's just learning how to pitch and learning how to deal with these older hitters. So I feel like as long as they have it in mind to gradually increase him, I don't think it's like if he doesn't come out this spring throwing 94, 95, it's the end of the world. I think just get him on that – Wake Forest lab, uh, cow body, you know, what is the drive line? Uh, get him on that plan and get him up to 93, 94, and, and he'll be golden in a couple of years. We'll move on now to a couple of position players that are on Nick's list. And one of them was one we mentioned earlier, and that's Miss Ale Day Sohn. 
Deshaun was part of the trade with the Rockies that sent Michael Givens to Colorado. He came over with Taryn Vavra and Tyler Nevin in that deal. And at the time, you know, in August of 2020, he looked like the throw-in. And instead what we saw was he went to the Florida Complex League this year as a teenager and put up solid numbers across the board. Uh, Really just looking like an above-average player with all five tools, a good outfielder who has some power projection, Got a cup of coffee in Delmarva late in the year, although he didn't play that much when he went there. Figures to be part of the Swordbirds starting outfield next year. Um, Bob, we spent a lot of the summer hyping up Dayson, and I think there was a pretty good reason why for that. But just kind of give us your impression of him after what he did at the Florida Complex League last summer. Just seems like a guy that could be kind of like a, a five-tool player. Uh, I have him starting in center field for Delmarva, and – Eric can correct me if I'm wrong, if he's still listening, but I think he's got some room to fill out still a super skinny kid. So plenty of, you know, power to add to his, his game. Maybe he could hit like 10, 15 home runs a year. Uh, when all is said and done, he's got speed defense arm. Just, just seems like a player from everything that I've seen about him. So just, you love the hit tool. You love the, just I don't I I don't know. There's nothing I can say that uh, we haven't said a million times. But uh, he's just going to be fun to watch, if nothing else. And he's the first taste we got at full season ball of, of this international presence. Yeah, isn't his, as nick- isn't his nickname something like Spider Man or something like that? I feel like I remember reading that. Yeah, that- something like that. Some like yeah. Um, so good good timing there. Uh, but yeah, it, that's just a name. I included they saw in. When looking at the international prospects, I know like Anderson De Los Santos was a name that received a lot of hype at the end of the year, but I just I, I don't know anything about the kid. Um, and there are so many other younger international prospects that I think are real sleepers and the organization believes are real sleepers, but we just know nothing, absolutely nothing about them. Uh, and information is so hard to find on these guys who are still 17 in the DSL. But they saw him, we did get to see, uh, honestly, I wasn't super impressed with what we saw but it was like six games and they weren't like six back-to-back-to-back games these were kind of whatever starts um you could tell that the game was clearly way too fast for him and delmarva but i I think that's fine he was only 19 years old he doesn't turn 20 until halfway through next season so he could spend all year in delmarva still be 20 years old at the end of the season uh and so he's still way ahead of the game here i think just the fact that the orioles did promote him to delmarva and let him get that first taste says a lot about how they they feel about him, you know, because you could have kept somebody like Davis Tavares up there. There were some other guys in, in the FCL that they could have kept up in Delmarva to hold down a roster spot, but they went with Desan. And I can't remember who it was. I can't remember the name, so I can't credit them, but somebody who has one of these these great models uh, on Twitter has had Michelle Desan as like the top hitter in the FCL as one of the youngest hitters in the FCL last year. So it's a great start to his career. And like you said, Kobe Perez, this seems to be like Kobe Perez's guy, one of his main guys in the system. So that's why I'm going to pay attention to him. Talk about another uh, young outfielder in the system. That's Elio Prado, who was acquired as part of the Andrew Kastner trade in 2019. That For some reason, that trade feels like it happened a decade ago. Um, but Prado is a player to watch. Unfortunately, we did not get to see him in 2021 because of an injury, but if you head over to BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com, we have a tweet embedded, Nick embedded a tweet in the story with a clip of Prado taking batting practice. I watched it, I think, like six times and was oddly excited about what I was seeing. So 
we don't have a lot of on-field results to talk about with Prado uh, between his time with the Red Sox and the Orioles. But Nick, uh, kind of give our listeners some background on why Prado, you know, as long as he's healthy next year, could be a breakout. Same thing with Desaun, just young, still only 20 years old. Uh, And this is a guy who I think the Red Sox were kind of high on when he was in their system. Um, You know, the numbers in in the DSL are good. Steel, stolen bases, showing power, almost as many walks as strikeouts. Uh, So big numbers on there. The numbers that you you obviously can't take away a lot from the stats in the DSL or FCL, but the numbers you do want to look at uh, that give you a little sense of who a guy is. All those check the boxes there for for Prado. Um, he was just someone that I think outside of Orioles fandom, like websites like Prospects Live, especially, were very high on Prado after uh, that trade. I think he w- he might have been a top thirty or just outside their top thirty. Some other places too had him right outside the top thirty for the Orioles list. Maybe sites like Prospects fifteen hundred and such, um, which made me believe that clearly, if people outside of Birdland are high on Prado, then there's something here. Um, and so. You know, so many of these young international prospects we've talked about were, well, we thought they were just throw-ins in this trade that Michael Elias made. Well, they turned out like they're the premier guys. And so uh, here's another case where, you know, could Prado and Noel Berth Romero become something? I don't know. Uh, but Prado will finally get his chance. Hopefully we finally get to see him next year in Delmarva. Yeah, I can't add too much to that. But I do have him starting in FCL. Uh, in the article I just wrote, but I'd love to be wrong about that and have him go right to Delmarva. I just think with the injury, maybe they want to slow play him a little bit. But Eric is the one who has got me excited about Prado as well. Just seems like a really confident kid. And, and you know, you love to see that that confidence. And as long as he can get on that field and get out there every day, I think, you know, he'll at least have a chance to do so. Yeah, I could see Prado, um, if nothing else, starting the year in extended spring training because – there are so many outfielders between Aberdeen and Delmarva that you have to find a bats for. And even though we now know that Reed Trimble won't be ready for at least the first few months of the season next year, um, there's still a lot of players that you have to get at bats for. So that combined with the injury might mean the Prado starts the year back in extended spring training, maybe even goes to the FCL for a little bit. But I wouldn't be shocked if he got to Delmarva later in the summer. So one other name that is in Nick's piece, I mentioned at the beginning that it is five, but technically six, because Nick also gave a shout out to Noah DeNoyer, an undrafted free agent in 2019, who uh, continues to put up good numbers as a pitcher in the system. And Nick, um, it was good to see DeNoyer mention your piece. I know that you're particularly high on him. Um, So just what are your thoughts on him? Another Big kid. I mean, Tommy John surgery seems like in college, 6'5, 225 is what he's listed at. Um, it seemed like you know, Tommy John surgery early on in like his college career, and that kind of derailed the college plans. I think he was destined to go to Oklahoma State. Um, shout out to his dad. I think he messaged us at the very beginning of the season and said, Yeah, he was supposed to go to Oklahoma State. Uh, didn't all work out though, but still to find this guy after 40 rounds of the MLB draft, the last 40 round draft, RIP to that. Um the Orioles signed him, and I remember Rock Kabako highlighted him in a piece right after at some uh, fall instructs at the end of the season. Uh, he threw in Noah DeNoyer's name for, like, the fastball velo. The guy was pounding it down there. Um, he comes out this year. Walks were a big issue in Delmarva, yeah, but he significantly cut the walks down uh, as he, his time in Delmarva ended. Got promoted to Aberdeen, only 12 innings, but they were a really good 12 innings, 2.25 ERA, good strikeouts, decent walk numbers. Uh, I think he worked mainly at the bullpen, maybe exclusively at the bullpen in Aberdeen. 
but it's just a name. And when I was listening to, to that MLB Pipeline podcast and they had uh, Brad Sciolic on, and when he name dropped Noah DeNoyer, like that was just, that's amazing. That's awesome. So clearly the Orioles see something in him uh, as he continues to move up the ladder. Yeah, that's not a random occurrence that they're throwing names like that out there. And you, we've seen it time and time again with Matt Blood and all these guys like we talked about. But uh, um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, the I have the back half of Aberdeen's rotation at the beginning of next year to have guys like Denoyer, Ryan Watson, Houston Roth, Ignacio Feliz, Jake Lyons, Griffin McLarty, just a large group of these guys that could be, you know, relief prospects down the line. But as of right now, they still have that opportunity to maybe piggyback each other and throw three or four innings at a time and, and show what they've got. Yeah, Denoyer really interests me, and I'm glad that you brought up uh, Brad Ciola mentioning him recently because um, given Matt Blood's success rate in uh, early season, preseason hype with prospects last year and what Kobe Perez has done before too, talking guys up, I tend to take uh, on-the-record comments about players with fast-rising prospect stocks pretty seriously from this regime. So definitely keep an eye on Denoyer as we get ready for next season. So we'll get into a couple of transaction items now. Uh, as you know, we're still in the middle of the lockout, but teams can continue to sign minor league free agents, which is what the Orioles did uh, since we were last on the air, picking up a couple of players. One of them is catcher Anthony Benboom, who has spent parts of the last three seasons in the major leagues with the Rays and the Angels, though he did also spend some time last year in the Dodgers minor league system. Um, this looks like another player that's sort of in the Jacob Nottingham mold where the Orioles are going to bring in a catcher with major league experience and a lot of minor league experience to possibly compete for a spot on the 40 man roster and maybe be one of the catchers on the opening day roster, regardless of what happens with Adley Rutschman though, obviously if Rutschman starts the year back at Norfolk, um, it seems more likely that. Ben Boom and Nottingham uh, could end up making the roster, but we'll see how things go once the transactions lock unfreezes and the lockout ends. So, Bob, I'll just uh, start with you on this. Ben Boom, if nothing else, looks like a guy that gives the Orioles more depth, a little bit more major league experience at that position. His career numbers in the minor leagues at the plate aren't good, but some of what I could find on his defense seem positive. So, it looks like, if nothing else, they have another option with a lot of minor league experience uh, in the organization now. Yeah, seems like a guy that could sit behind her and play and catch the ball more times than not. Yeah, don't really know what he's going to give you as far as productivity, but if it's, you know, it all, obviously we've said it a lot, it comes down to the CBA, whether Rutschman starts the season on the opening day roster, if you give him three weeks in the minor leagues, and if that's the case, then a guy like Ben Boom, and like you said, Nottingham, they could share the duties for a couple of weeks and then, you know, we'll, we'll make room for the King when, when the King's ready to come up. Yeah. I mean, this is fine signing. Like it, I don't think Austin wins is coming back uh, clearly with this, uh, with these two signings with Ben boom and Nottingham joining the fold there uh, to hopefully fill that veteran you know, void at this position. Like we all know Adley Rutschman is coming up. He's the man, whether it's opening day, whether it's a few weeks later, it's his job to, for years to come, but I guess my only real thought here is that like, I'm glad to see the Orioles bringing in some of these veterans because I don't think Adley needs a mentor, but he's clearly going to be the leader of this team once he settles in. Uh, and these, some of these older major leaguers that have been around, you know, get to know him a little bit better. I think they're going to have a lot of respect for him. Uh, minor leaguers already clearly do. Uh, 
so, but I think a good veteran can come in and maybe show you some of the smaller things that maybe it takes you a couple of years to pick up on as a backstop. We know this is a unique position. So in that sense, sure, bring a veteran on, on board here. But like you know, looking at the guys on the roster now, like I don't think Nick Shufo is the answer uh, as good as his defense is. I think he's a good AAA depth piece, a really good AAA depth piece to work with the pitchers in Norfolk. You know, Brett Cumberland, you know, defense has never been his strong suit, right? And the offense was just non-existent last year. So I don't think he's an answer either. Uh, neither, neither of those guys, I think, are going to help out your major league rotation. And so maybe these veterans with the experience will hold down the fort until someone else arrives. But sure, welcome to Baltimore. Cumberland's biggest weapon is his elbow pad, right? <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, if he can get hit 40 <laughs> times a year, I mean, bring him on. But if he's going to play Pedro Severino defense, uh, I don't know. <laughs> So another minor league signing that happened, uh, the Orioles picked up right-handed pitcher Matt Vogel out of Indy Ball. He was originally drafted by the Rays in the 25th round uh, out of South Carolina in 2016, but has spent the last three years in independent leagues. So, Nick, um, to borrow from Dan Patrick, did we sprain this news or did we break this signing on Twitter last week? I don't know what you're talking about. Uh Masson had this one uh, first and foremost, right? Uh, it's whatever. Um, <laughs> like he, he's good depth piece. Like it was cool to see. Um, he's clearly very excited, um, which is awesome. Like high spin breaking stuff. I think he has a video. It's his pinned tweet that has like a lot of his data points there. So that was cool to see. Indie ball for like three seasons, four years because 2020. So last four years in Indie ball and to get this opportunity with the Orioles, I think it's a great story. I love seeing guys like Vogel get another chance. Um, probably just like buoy depth bullpen depth at his peak uh to be honest but that's fine uh, he's getting another opportunity so you know welcome to the organization i wish him all the best and i'll be excited to see what he has out there when the season starts yeah you love seeing these these interesting stories pop up like the cesar valdez when we signed him or we signed that guy that what there's like 105 miles an hour but obviously never put it together you know give these guys a shot with interesting data points and see if you can work with them and even Mickey Janice, knuckleballer, throw him out there. But you know, worst case, they're they're filler for your double A, triple A team. But you never know. If you hit, it's a lottery ticket for a reason. Looking at his numbers from last year, he spent most of last season in New Jersey in the Frontier League, but did also a long time in Long Island in the Atlantic League. The thing that jumps out at me: seventy-three strikeouts in forty-five and two-thirds innings. The walks are a little high, but they were significantly better than they were in his 2019 season in the Can-Am League. So perhaps some signs of improving command paired with good strikeout numbers. It's an interesting signing. And like Nick said, you're probably looking at bullpen depth at Bowie, but I'll definitely be watching him closely, Um, especially if, and I'm not saying that this is what's going to be the case, but you look at Logan Gillespie being a guy that was signed out of independent ball who had good strikeout numbers. Maybe the Orioles can do something here. Yeah. I pulled up his tweet, fastball 92, 95, top 96. And this was last summer, curveball 74, 75. And I think I saw that that curveball has like Zach Peak elite spin rates on it. Uh, so a cutter 88, 90. Um, so he's definitely interesting. I don't know. How old is he? I didn't see that. Look that up. Uh, Vogel, how old are you? He's <laughs> 26. So yeah, I mean, he's a younger-ish guy out of the SEC, South Carolina. The Rays drafted him, so the Rays obviously saw something in him. Um, you know, again, it, it could be nothing. It could just be minor league depth, but it's it's really fun. I think it's fun being the the kind of sicko nerds that we are with, with this kind of stuff. It's cool to find these 
that the Orioles find these guys way down in the depths of indie ball uh, to bring them back and see what they got. Simon's in the rough. We'll move on to our next big topic for tonight, which is MLB Pipeline's 2022 mock draft, which Jim Callis uh, published last week. And at number one, Jim Callis thinks that the Orioles are going to select Tamar Johnson, a second baseman out of Mays High School in Atlanta. I'm going to read here what Callis wrote about Johnson. Considered the best pure high school hitter in decades, Johnson got compared to two Hall of Famers by one scout who sees him as a mix of Wade Boggs' plate discipline and Vladimir Guerrero Sr.'s bat-to-ball skills. He'd be the first prep middle infielder to go number one since the Twins took Royce Lewis in 2017. So in that note from a scout, Johnson gets compared to two Hall of Famers, so we're obviously setting the bar pretty high. MLB Pipeline has him as its number two draft prospect behind Drew Jones, the son of Andrew Jones, um, at number one. So obviously we're a really long way from next year's draft. We've got a whole spring of high school and college baseball that is probably going to lead to a lot of mock drafts being revised and changed. We're probably, you know, my rough estimation right now is that there's probably six players with a really strong chance of going 1-1 next year, who would seem to fit the Orioles' type. But Johnson is certainly one of those guys. So I'll start with Bob on this one. Looking at this mock draft, obviously knowing how far away we are from the draft, though, um, give us your impression on Johnson and why you think he may or may not be a good fit in the Orioles' farm system. I think it would be a great fit. I can't remember where it was, if it was on here or the BSL message board or Twitter. I think I said at some point when uh, these names are being discussed, like the Elijah Green, Tamar Johnsons, and Drew Jones of the world, I said, don't rule out Johnson because he seems like he's the one that has the best hit tool of the bunch. And that seems like something the Orioles would like to uh, to have in their system. And I think this kind of just goes towards that where he's Wade Boggs plus Vladimir Guerrero Jr. plus Tony, Tony Gwynn plus Ted Williams, you know. He's, he's a pretty good hitter, apparently. So if, if that is the case and they see him as an elite talent, even if he's not college, like everyone says we're going to go college, college, college. But I think they'll go with the best player here. And if they think he's the one with like a 70 or 80 hit tool, then I see no reason they wouldn't take him. But I do agree with what you said before. There's probably six guys. There's probably those three high schoolers that I just mentioned. And then the three college players between DeLauder, Lee, and Young, I feel like, those are probably your your big six that you're choosing from right now. And obviously so much to go. New guys could pop in, guys could fall off, but that's where we stand, I think. Yeah, I think just my December thoughts on Tamar Johnson were that like that's super impressive when you can name drop two Hall of Famers in your scouting report there. And some scouts they said did give him an 80 grade uh bat. The bat is an 80 grade bat. So I mean, like, and I know the issue seems to be like, does he project more as a second baseman? Like if you have that kind of bat, that kind of speed, someone who they think can be a 25, 30 home run potential bat, like I don't care if you play second base and this is a one-one pick. You're, you're going to get that guy. Um, I think just over broadly speaking about this pick, though, you know, of course, you know, the, there's going to be a faction of fans that are going to be like, well, they're going to go under slot. They're going to go, you know, Jace Young or, or somebody that we're not even talking about, so they can save money. Even though you know going under slot doesn't mean you're being cheap; it means you're spreading the money around. But regardless, um, I think that I don't. I can't convince myself that they're going to go high school though. And this is just December conversation uh, spitballing here, but I, I really like the point. I think Bob made this point a couple of times recently that like, 
the Orioles are using the draft for these high floor, safer college bats to raise the floor of the system. And now you're really diving into the international market to get guys like Hernandez, Basayo, and others to, to raise the ceiling, get these real big lottery tickets. Um, so that's the only part I really like that. And I, I could see the Orioles being 100% on board with that and going with a DeLauder or even a Jace Young or somebody like that. But God, to have Tamar Johnson would be unbelievable. I'm excited to see what he can do uh, as his high school season rolls along. I'll give um, a couple of reports here on Johnson's defense. This from MLB Pipeline. A shortstop in high school, Johnson will change positions as a pro because his quickness and arm are more average than plus. Perfect game, meanwhile, has uh, that notes that Johnson has very quick feet on defense, works low to the ground behind balls, has a chance to sit, stay at shortstop, but if not, will be a high, a highest level defensive second baseman. So two different reports there that draw slightly different conclusions. Perfect game, not as certain that Johnson will have to move. But if you have elite defense at second base with a 70 hit tool, there's a real possibility because, you know, there's a real possibility of him being a really good second baseman at the major league level. And I just don't think you worry too much about the position at that rate. I think my question, and I think, you know, Nick brought up a good point, is are the Orioles really going to go with the high school hitter? in a year where the college hitting draft class is pretty deep. Yeah, but I do agree with that, obviously. But at the same time, maybe they think Tamar Johnson's hit tool is so good that he's kind of up there as far as safe picks go, just with the with the bat. Uh, you know, Vladimir Guerrero senior uh, bat control, that's pretty insane. But, uh, yeah, I don't think you worry about the defense either. I mean, if, if he's a great field and second baseman that can hit, you know, 300 with 20 home runs, I mean, doesn't matter where he can play. You want that bat in the lineup. Yeah. And I think like I'm really just compiling the reports and, and using other people's you know thoughts here and kind of spitballing off them, to be honest, because I've said before, like I'll dive into the draft stuff uh, later on. And I'm sure whatever draft research I do do, uh, once we get Stephen Loftus on, he's going to have his guy. And I like Colton Kowser last year. I'm going to fall in love and forget everything I researched. But um, yeah, Tamar Johnson just seems to have that bat. If you want to talk about the defense and moving over second base, I get that. Sure. When you look at the other high school picks like Elijah Green and Drew Jones, I mean, I know Elijah Green seems to have the strikeout issues and they might be legit. It seemed like against more advanced competition from reports I saw, more advanced competition, higher velo, Green significantly did struggle, but that's your center fielder, right? And then Drew Jones seems to be the more raw of the three, but he's got, I know he's not, he doesn't have like technically Hall of Fame bloodlines, but like they should be Hall of Fame uh, bloodline there with his dad. Um, you know, having him maybe around Sarasota wouldn't hurt either. But like that's also someone I think in some report I saw that Drew Jones could also play shortstop and seem to handle that well, scouts think. So like if I'm going to go on these high school routes, you know, I don't think there's this urge necessarily to fill the farm system with more Heston Kerstads and Colton Kowsers. If you want to use this one one pick on a guy like Drew Jones even and dream on what he can become. I would, I would honestly, I know I just said I liked Bob's point that he made about you know drafters international, but I would love for them to go one of these super high ceiling high school kids and see what this player development staff can do with them. Yeah, especially if we're hoping this is the last time we pick one one for a long time. Let's try to hit a home run on that last pitch and walk it off. Johnson, you know, early reports from me. What I kind of take away from it is that Johnson probably has the highest floor in the group, and maybe is. I don't want to say the safest pick, but the floor is going to be pretty high, and we know the ceiling might be tremendously high if he's being compared to two Hall of Fame hitters. 
But Jones' defense in center field is just the one thing I keep coming back to. You know, say what you will of Andrew Jones' Hall of Fame case. There's really no denying that at his prime, Andrew Jones was one of the best defensive center fielders in the history of baseball. So if his son has a little bit of that and has a better overall hit tool, that's a really good player. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, even if you, the college guys too, looking at some of the names at the top of this list, like honestly, I think the pick, obviously everyone knows like Chase Delauder is my guy. I want that to be the pick. But I think more realistically, um, as I'm starting to look more into this, Brooks Lee is the name that I think just stands out as like a, a premier Orioles pick just because he has success on the Cape. He's got the success at Team USA, so we know he can. he's good against that high-level competition. Um, the small school thing is kind of, I think, irrelevant just because he's only playing there because his dad's the coach. Uh, so, of course, you want to play with his dad. So I don't think that's a concern at all. Um, this is the SEC caliber stud player who doesn't strike out like at all. It was like 13% strikeout rate or something I saw. Um, and I just think that could be also someone who maybe the Orioles can save a little money on if there's other – guys they target you know kamar rocker with the second round pick right um some of these other guys if they want to go under slot while still getting a legit one one candidate i see brooks leaving the pick as well yeah and that's what's going to happen people we're going to be under slot technically i mean you just orioles fans have to get over that it's just what's going to happen at one one doesn't mean they're not getting a guy that's talented enough to be one one it's just what the pirates did with henry davis last year so i think that's that's what's going to happen they're going to bargain these guys against each other. They'll probably have two or three that are kind of tied and then they'll just pick the one that uh, takes the least amount of money so they can use it later on. This yeah, is the wanna... year. Oh, go ahead, Nick. I was going to say, this is the year that like, I wish you could trade back like NFL NBA style. This will be a, it seems like obviously things are going to shake out differently probably. And there's going to be like a top two and that could be it. Other guys might fall off or whatever weaknesses get exposed, but looking at this list as it is now, it seems like this would be the perfect year. If you could trade back to like third or fourth position stock up on more picks or whatever and still get a legit one, one candidate. That would be amazing, but can't do it. Yeah, I agree with you, Nick. I feel like, you know, and obviously things are going to really shake out in the spring and things are going to change, but I'm more excited about this year's draft class than I was last year's draft class. And I feel like you could be, you know, picking fourth or fifth in 2022 and still come away with a really good player and a guy who, in most years, might have a really strong case to go 1-1. One, one. Um, so this is a class right now that if things play out the way we expect them to, especially with the hitters in the spring, the Orioles are going to have their fair share of options. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, last year, this time, well, it was basically Jack Leiter and, um, oh, my God, I'm blanking. What's Kumar Rocker. You just going to be your second round pick. It was between Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker, right? And we didn't really know much about the high school guys. And then a lot of the college guys that were up there kind of fell off, obviously. So, yeah, as of now, it's pretty deep at the top. And hopefully it stays that way. Yeah, and I want to throw in this a little bit of context because we've talked about under slot um, at various points in this discussion. Johnson is the number two ranked prospect on MLB Pipeline's list. If he stays in that range, he's not going to be an under slot option because – if the Pirates at number one had drafted the number two prospect in the 2021 draft last year, they would have chosen Jack Leiter, who was not going to take an under slot deal. So really, if we're going to be looking at someone who's under slot, as these rankings get closer, I want to see who's falling into maybe that 
five to seven range, somewhere in there, to see who could really, if the Orioles are going to go under slot, I would look somewhere around there. Yeah, I could see, and I, that's why I think you know Brooks Lee could probably end up fitting perfectly into that category. Uh, Jace Young as well, though that pick wouldn't really excite me. I mean, he's a fantastic player from all accounts, but yeah. Um, but I mean, Kevin Parada, the catcher, like you get one one, you got a Kevin Parada catcher out of Georgia Tech sitting there. Orioles got to take him, right? That's <laughs> that's my pick. That's my new pick. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, and it's also nice to have one, one obviously, because we'll have the first pick in every round. We'll have a bigger draft pool. But for me personally, we're one, one. I don't mind, you know, going down to two or three as far as saving a little bit of money, but I want to, I want to take a big swing on one, one. I want to try to get a really excellent guy that's competing to be the best prospect in the system this time next year. And then we'll just go from there. Something that stands out at me as I look at MLB pipelines list and this, Jives with everything we've heard about the 2022 draft class, which is that it's really deep with hitters, not as deep with pitchers. And right now, there's only one pitcher in their top 10, and that's Dylan Lesko, um, a high school right-hander out of Buford, Georgia. If there's something that I feel pretty confident the Orioles are not going to do as number one pick, it's probably draft a prep right-hander. But I guess I could be wrong and stranger things could happen, but... Uh, this definitely looks like a tailor-made Orioles draft class with a number of hitters available. Yeah, I don't see very many. I mean, just kind of looking through. Yeah, I mean, there's some guys that I really do like, but they're coming off like major Tommy John issues and such. Um, like Connor, I think Connor Prelip got Alabama. I think he was one of those guys coming off an injury. I think there were a couple others too near the top that are coming off injuries, but. I think Orioles fans, it's going to be another year of uh, – it might be a little bit of a wait before you see the Orioles go pitcher. Uh, unless Kumar Rocker is sitting there, first pick of the second round, do, do you go with him there? I, I don't, I'm sure that will be a, a – talk. I've already seen Orioles fans kind of mentioning that, and I, I don't know how I feel about that because he's ranked 31 in Apple Pipeline's list, so he could be sitting there. I just feel like if he's healthy, he's going to go sooner, and if he's not, you don't want to take him there. It's kind of a tough spot, I feel like. Yeah, I agree. I think that it's going to be – I think he's probably looking this spring to pitch his way back in the top 10 consideration. Um, but I don't see him going number one. And then if he's not in that top 10 mix, though, or even top 20 mix, how big of a risk is he at the first pick in the second round? Uh, that would be a big risk in my mind and not one that I would be willing to go under slot for at the top of the draft. Yeah. Yeah, because he's definitely going to command big money still, most likely. Yeah. I think non-Orioles draft lines, that's what I'm looking for. I want to see what happens with the Kamar Rocker next year. And Judd Fabian's back in the draft. MLB Pipeline has him at 45. I'm just, from a non-Orioles standpoint, because I don't think either are going to join the organization, but I'm interested to see where they go. Because those are, I think Fabian was a name we were pretty high on very early in our draft process last year. And then he struck out like 80% of the time. Uh, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see where they go. The draft is fun. I can't wait to get uh, Stephen back on. Hopefully he started his uh, draft prep and we can have him on soon. Yeah, he's our guiding light. We we can't really get into this too deep until we, <laughs> we talk to him. Stephen, if you're listening to this episode, I think that means you need to get started on your draft work. I know you have the whole model. I know you've got the whole methodology, but we're desperate for draft content over here. So <laughs> help us out and help out uh, the warehouse. So we'll, we can't wait, though, to talk more in depth about the draft and the good news is that the draft is one area that's not really going to be affected by the lockout. So we can continue to plan to talk about this over the next few months 
probably do a bigger preview of college and high school baseball sometime in February. So be sure to listen out for that when the time comes. We are going to circle back here at the end of the show to our earlier subject of breakout candidates because Bob was inspired to put together his own list of three players that he wanted to mention tonight as possible breakout candidates. So I'll turn that over to him. Yeah, sorry to bring this back around, but uh, Nick's article really got my head spinning and I wanted to get in on the action. So I put in three more. Uh, first, that was an outfielder in the Dominican Summer League, Junior Lara, who, you know, just like Anderson Daler Santos and Samuel Basalo, Michael Hernandez should show up in the FCL this year, late in June, early July, whenever their season gets started. He's a center fielder that is 17 years old, turns 18 in January. He batted 344 with a 934 OPS, 160 WRC plus, four steals, three doubles, two triples a home run, 64 at bats, but just really flashed for his age uh, as far as the level of competition. He was among the league's best and just a guy I haven't really seen anyone mention anywhere. Also have Daryl Hernandez, who we've talked about a lot. You know, if he adds a little bit of a little muscle, a little strength in this offseason, maybe it could really round his game out enough where if the power is more of a threat, then he can afford to lay off more pitches and maybe get his walk rate back to where it was in 2019 following the draft. And then I had Adam Stauffer. Had to, had to throw my guy in there. I feel like, especially if he's focused as a, a member of the Billy bullpen to start the year and he's just lighting it up, he could be in AAA before too long, maybe make his major league debut by the end of the season. All good names. With Lara, yeah, there was – there's no information like out there on this kid except that stat sheet, uh, which is super impressive. Um, but yeah, and honestly, the first thing like the kid was born in 2004, and as someone who just turned 34 yesterday, like that depressed the hell out of me when I was looking at this. To, like, who is Junior Lara and trying to like refresh myself uh, on him? So he was he born, is a junior for sure. <laughs> he was born, I think, when I was a junior in high school. Um, <laughs> unbelievable. But, yeah, I found some clips of his swing. It, it looks like he could be – I don't know what the speed is. If he's a speedy guy, he looks like he could be a good, like, gap-to-gap hitter uh, who's pretty impressive. Um, just that the inter- – I'm excited to watch these international kids. There's so many of them, and we're finally going to get our eyes on them. Um, with Hernandez, we never went back and, like, really dove into him. I feel like we said we were going to so many times um, <laughs> because his debut in 2019, the walks were so good. And it was, he flashed a lot. And then this past year, the walks weren't great. The strikeouts were up. But I will say, like, he was two years younger than the competition in low A. So he didn't turn 20 until August. So he played most of the year as a 19-year-old kid. Uh, so I, I like that. And I did look up, um, again, this is from Fangraphs. And he was ranked 24th on their list to start the year. And he said, a GM once told me that if a player is well-built and has some baseball acumen, they deserve serious consideration, even if their tools are currently average, such as the case with Hernandez, who has a bunch of average tools right now. Um, he has pro ball pedigree. His dad's a pro baseball player. Uh, this was a strong $400,000 signing. Hernandez is one of the more interesting players in this entire system. So basically, we need to get Eric Longenhagen back going and pick his brain here about uh, Daryl, because um, I'm definitely intrigued. And Stauffer... Six seven monster, but the only thing that can I want to understand better is he's been in the system like what four or five years now, and why did it take so long for them to promote them? This passing just a high A, and that's as high as he's gotten. So, but I think all the, the the he's flashed everything. Everything is there. It's just if he has that aha moment, and everything clicks. I've said it before, and I think Stafford could end the year in, in AAA in Norfolk's bullpen, 
and become a major league piece. Um, is it all going to click though? That's that's the only thing. Yeah. yeah so, oh, oh sorry. Ahead, I was just going to mention back to Hernandez. I think when I was studying him for our our off season prospect review series, which you can sign up for Patreon to check out all of those. I believe what I noticed was that his infield fly ball ratio was like really, really high compared to, so he's definitely just popping a lot of balls up. So, you know, if you could straighten them out, maybe, maybe that cures all. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of development that's going to have to go in her nineties is bad because, you know, we want to see him build a little bit more strength. Uh, as Bob mentioned, get the uh, pop-ups and fly balls down. You'll probably see the batting average stick up there. I still want to know, though, what happened with the walk rate because it was so high in the Gulf Coast League in 2019. Then he goes to Delmarva in 2021 and looks like a young version of Jose Iglesias where decent contact, playing the field well, but never drawing a walk. Um, And it was just such a switch that I have not been able to wrap my head around. But putting that aside, there's no question that the makings are there of a pretty solid player if he can put it all together. And Stauffer, if you want to look at pitchers that have the potential to really bring their stocks up next year, I could see him being that guy. As Nick said, there are some things that he needs to put together, but the strikeout numbers have been good. The walk numbers are actually pretty good too. So if he can put it all together, probably could end next season in Norfolk's bullpen as I believe a 23. Yeah, he'll turn 23 in January. So that would be pretty good for him. So you know, um, Lara, as Nick said, don't know much about. Obviously really young, but I think he's another sign of how much better the Orioles are doing with the international market now. And he's another guy that does kind of raise the floor of the system. So I'm anxious to see more of him. Stoffer also gives me like Ofelki Peralta vibes. Like he was a, a pre-Elias guy. And I feel like if if you look at him and you're going to say, well, this is ultimately like some relief pitcher in the system. Yeah, he might be six seven, but if the stuff's just not there, like that could have been an easy cut. But the Orioles kept him around, and so that's what keeps me intrigued for sure. And I can't believe he's only 23 years old because I feel like he should be like 30 <laughs> at least. Because I feel like Stoffer was someone when I really got into this uh, that Stoffer was a prospect in the system, a noted prospect in the system that a lot of. Orioles fans, um, we were shouting out Vivek, shouted out Luke Siler for his inspiration to in Rule 5 draft. I remember Luke being a big proponent. I, I might be wrong there, but I'm pretty sure Luke was a big proponent of Stoffer stuff. He turned me on to Adam Stoffer very early on, and now we're still talking about him in high A ball. It's just time flies, and, and then it doesn't. I don't get it. Yeah, I was just about to say Luke Siler is the one who brought him to my attention, <laughs> and uh, now he works for the Orioles, so maybe that's why he's still in the organization. <laughs> Yeah, Stauffer, I think part of it is, you know, drafted in 2017 and did not put up good numbers in short stints in the Gulf Coast League that summer and then again in 2018. So 2019, he breaks out a little bit. And then he's one of those guys I think was hurt by the pandemic in some ways because I want to say he was actually in the very first top 30 list that we did at Baltimore Sports and Life. in there at the end, yeah. Yeah, he was in the top 30, and just because of how much talent has come into the system over the last two years, he dropped down. And, you know, pitching in the bullpen at low A at 22, it's going to be hard for you to get back into that mix. But I feel like there's some things to like about Stauffer, and, you know, if he puts it together next year, 
he's going to be one of those success stories that, as far as relievers go, kind of the way Felix Batista was this year. Uh, I like Vivek's comment here. My pick is Cameron Bishop for the 2018 John Means breakout year. Uh, yeah, that that start when he's pumping 95, 96, striking out like 12 guys against Hartford. I really enjoyed that. He also asked, uh, where's Ryan Ripken, I think. Was that a previous comment that he had as a breakout yeah. candidate? Um, there it is. Um, Vivek is now banned from the show for bringing up Ryan Ripken's name. So. That was Simkin Tribute who brought it up. Oh, Simkin Tribute. Simkin, you're a band for bringing up uh, Ryan Ripken's name there. They're both banned for the hell of it. Coming up next, Simkin Tribute. Can I ask Nick about DJ Stewart? <laughs> Please don't. This is a good show. Don't. We're not going to go there. find, though, there was a, an interview. So I, there was a, an interview I saw, I read, remember, with Adam Stauffer a couple of years ago. And I think he was a guy who um, he admitted, like, his stuff wasn't that great. Uh, but um, it was he was one of the guys who, when this new regime came in, uh, he really bought into the analytical side of things and really started studying and diving into that. And um, I think that is what has helped him the most. So Stauffer, I think if it does click for him, though, and he ends up in Norfolk's bullpen or Bowie's bullpen or get teachers work as a starter, it's a huge win for this player development staff to keep Stauffer around and make him a, a useful prospect in the system. Yeah, I mean, he's so tall. Uh, you have to imagine that's a, a hard wind-up delivery to uh, consistently maintain. So they stuck with him, and, and here he is. He's going to be... The breakout of the year. I don't know. <laughs> well, so we've now given you nine players that are possible breakouts for 2022. So keep those names in mind as we uh, move towards the start of the regular season uh, at the minor league level. And hopefully soon we'll have some signs of progress in the CBA negotiations. And we can talk about the majors with a little bit more concrete details. A programming note here. We will not be having a live show next week on Monday, December 27th. However, we are going to record something in advance and give you a new episode um, next week as our year-end review. Looks at some things that uh, we liked, we didn't like in 2021 related to the Orioles and some stuff about this show. So that's going to be a fun one to listen to. In the meantime, continue to follow us on Twitter at BSL on the Verge. Check out BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com where Bob and Nick both have news stories on the site. There's also a lot of Ravens coverage on there, college sports, high school sports, and more. Be sure to read the site and jump on the message board uh, and join in discussion with BSL writers and fellow readers of the site. Uh, for Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to On the Birds, and we will be back with a new episode next week. <laughs>